Amen. We're going to be in Numbers, the 22nd chapter. Now you're probably thinking, Numbers? What do I want to go to Numbers for? Isn't that where all them, uh, those laws and things are at? Well, if you read through there, you're going to find some interesting stories kind of tucked away in there. And we're going to talk about one of them this morning. <clears throat> now we're going to talk about Balaam. Now I don't know whether you're familiar with who Balaam is. But uh, we're going to find out about him this morning. And I know as uh, all of us, you know, we have a, a desire basically to serve God. And we have the greatest intentions there are to do that. But sometimes our own agenda and our own will, our own desires kind of overshadow what we know we should be doing. And that's kind of what happened in uh, Balaam's life. And uh, like I said, they say that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we know that good intentions isn't going to cut it. We have to have more than good intentions. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, Balaam, he wasn't a, uh, a Jew. He was from Mesopotamia, and he was a prophet, but not in, the, in a biblical sense. He was basically a sorcerer from the Far East, and that's what he was. But in the Old Testament times, they believed that you could hire these sorcerers, or the prophets, they called everybody, you know, these kind of people, prophets, you know, like they call some people Christians. They call, you go to church, you're a Christian. <laughs> Even though in reality there isn't. And then when the Christians fall or they do things that they shouldn't be doing, it causes a bad name on Christians. Well, Balaam will put a bad name on prophets because he wasn't a prophet of the living God. He was a sorcerer. And uh, they believed that if you hired somebody to come and curse somebody, that... Uh, that his, he would, could influence your God, because everybody in the Old Testament had a God of some kind. And even in, even in America, all of us have some kind of God. It may be football, maybe basketball, hockey, don't want to miss Calandra. <laughs> we like football and basketball, and you might even like baseball. So we have different kinds of idols. We don't call them idols, of course. But they all had gods back then or something that they worshipped. And they felt like that if you got a somebody, that they could have a special ability to talk to the God of whoever it was that you were serving and be able to influence them in a certain way. And so that's why they had hired Balaam to come. And uh, that's the story we're going to be looking at this morning. In Numbers, the 22nd, now we're going to be reading a lot of verses this morning, but that's okay. Starting 22nd chapter, starting at verse 1. Then the Israelites traveled in the plains of Moab and camped along across from Jericho. I'm reading out of the New, King, New Living Translation, I believe, this morning, so in case it was a little different, then you'll know why. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and the Moab was terrified because there were so many. Now they had known who Israel was, how the God had delivered them out of Egypt, and God, their, their God had a very good reputation in a lot of respects. So basically, they were kind of a little leery about that little afraid of their God anyway. So that's what instigated this. Now Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zabor, was the king of Moab at that time sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was a, at Pethra, near the Euphrates rivers, in his native land. Balak said, a prophet came out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled 
a people, not a prophet, a people come out of Egypt and cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab, uh, the Midian, left with them the fee for divination. They know where they paid him in advance. When, he, when they came to, or they gave the guys to give him, when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said unto them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives to me. So the Moabites, now this is um, something they commonly did. We, we, we think that he's talking to our God, but basically he's really, he is kind of, but he's not a, a prophet of God, so he really has no authority. But they have to go through the motions, you know, to make it look good. Balaam said to them, I will report back to you the answer the Lord gives to me. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God said to Balaam, see, I think he's a little bit surprised that the real God showed up. Some people are really su surprised when the real God shows up in our life, aren't we? Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God. Bala Balak, son of Zippor, king of Mo Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not, agree, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam has refused to come with us. Then Balak sent his officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak's son of Zabor said. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I find out what else the Lord tells me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moab officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose them. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into the field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in, the, in a narrow path through the vineyard with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room in to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden in this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he replied. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten this donkey three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is in a reckless one before me. 
The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Because Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the man, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the Balak's officials. When Balak heard the ba- that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the, Mo- at the Moabite town on the Aaron border at the edge of the territory. Balak said, to, uh, Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why did you come to not come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Whew, that was a long reading, but you had to read the whole thing to get the story. Now, Balak, he was the king of Moab, and he knew that he, would, he didn't have enough power to fight against the Israelites because they outnumbered him. I don't know how many to one, but quite a, quite a number. So he had to do something, see, because he didn't want to surrender. He wanted to keep what he had. So he decided, well, I'll go just go hire Balaam and, to curse these people, and then I can defeat them, and then I'll, my kingdom will be better, and all these other kind of things. Now, Balaam acknowledged the God of Israel that was indeed a God. There's no doubt about it that he knew that he was a God. But he didn't believe he was the only God, and he didn't believe that he was the only true God. Now, Balaam was ready to obey God's command as long as it was profited from him. There was something in it for him. He lived basically with one one foot in religion and one foot in the world. Now, don't we have a lot of people like that? (laughs) They kind of want their cake and eat it too. And he uh, had to acknowledge God, but not enough forsake his magic and his lifestyle. So he went on his way. He went only because God intervened. See, he had his own agenda. And sometimes when we come to God and we're trying to do things, we have our own agenda. And so we're not looking for the signs. We're not looking for things that, 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 that God may be saying to us because we're too busy with our own agenda. And that's kind of what Balaam did. Now, he was probably just as shocked as anybody when God actually spoke to, spoke to him. It would kind of surprise you when you think you're going through your ritualistic things. And I don't know whether he ever had got any kind of a God speak to him or Satan or demons, whatever it was. That If there was somebody that spoke to him, it wasn't God. It was, it was a demon. So I don't know how, whether he's used to that or not, but it didn't look like he was too surprised about somebody speaking to him anyway. Now, you might wonder, why would God speak through a sorcerer like Balaam? Kind of an unusual thing. Well, I think one of the first reasons was because the Moabites had already chosen Balaam to come and curse him for him. So they'd already wanted to hire him, so they figured, why not use the one that they called? (laughs) And we know that God can use anyone. You don't have to. God has used so many people throughout the Bible and even in our own lives today that aren't Christian or believers, or Israelites in this case. He used uh, Balaam in this case. He used Pharaoh with regards to the children when they were in Egypt. He used Pharaoh to fulfill his will. He used Caesar to call out that census that, that caused Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem so Jesus could be born where he's supposed to be. And God can use anybody he wants to be able to fulfill his plan and his purpose in a certain situation. And when he needs something done over here and he's got you in his plan, hey, you might as well give up and go ahead because God's going to see to it that you get there one way or the other, whether you're a believer or not. So God can do that. We need to understand that now. But God has also given Balaam a chance to turn his life around. 
given him an opportunity to know the one true God of Israel. I believe that God wanted to convert Balaam into a, to be a prophet of God. Because in the Old Testament times, not everybody got to hear from God. It was very selective, the priests and sometimes the kings and the prophets. You know, they're the ones kind of that heard from God, but not average, average old citizen didn't. If you wanted to ask something then, you had to go to your priest and had to go to your prophet or whatever to get any answers. I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore, aren't you? I'm glad that I can just go right to the throne room on my own and not have to worry about talking to God through somebody else. And I'm sure glad I don't have to go and confess my sins to somebody else. I'd be embarrassed, you know, they hide you in the little confessional sometimes, and I guess that's better than than face-to-face encounter. But God wants that face-to-face encounter with us. He wants to see us face-to-face, and he doesn't want a third party. The only third party God goes through is Jesus. So we need to understand that. So I'm glad that we don't have to worry about that, and I'm glad that God can talk to us directly. We don't need a third party, and I'm thankful. So I believe that God wanted to try as many times as he can to deal with Balaam. And God will do the same thing for, for, for people today. He'll deal with certain people and he'll deal with them and deal with them and deal with them. And if they don't give in or they don't follow God or they don't reach out to God, then sooner or later God says, okay, have your own way. And that's it. So God was trying to, trying to draw Balaam in to his plan and his purpose. And you'd think, I mean, you'd think this experience would have made me a believer, wouldn't it? I don't care what heathen god I worship. Man, I'll tell you, I'd, I'd, I'd burn up my old gods and, hey, this is the only one that's God. <laughs> so anyway, that's one of the, I think, why he did. And we sit there and we wonder, well, why do, as Christians, we get out of the will of God a lot too, don't we? And what makes us get out of the will of God? Sometimes maybe we're not sure about what God's will is. Now, those times we just kind of, we, we do things and we go in a certain direction until we have God turn us a different direction. But sometimes God's will for our life is what we want to do. Now, that's the problem that a lot of Christians have. They think that God's will for your life is something you don't want to do. Now, that'd be a terrible God that would require you to do something you wouldn't want to do. Man, that'd be terrible to have to go through life. Well, I don't want to get saved because I don't want to, I don't want to go to Africa and be a missionary. <laughs> well, I guarantee you, if you come to Christ and you, God puts a desire in your heart to be a missionary in Africa, that's all you'll want to do. Because we fulfill the desires that we have in our heart. So we gotta, if we don't have a clear, clear understanding of what direction God wants us to go, then what do you want to do? Maybe that's God's will. If it isn't, he'll let you know. But a lot of times we miss God's will because we have our own agenda. We have our own things we want to do. We have to say, well, I want to go to school and I want to study this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And God, if you're up there, fine, this is what I'm going to do. Like they say, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. And so a lot of times we miss God because we're so wrapped up in our own problems and our own life that we forget God exists, and and maybe down the road, well, I don't need you for this, God. I can handle this one on my own. Reality, God doesn't want us to handle anything on our own because we think, well, it's just a small thing. It's just a little teeny thing. I don't have to worry about it. I can handle this. Well, the problem is these little things that we keep trying to handle, they drain us, and we keep having little things and little things and little things. Usually, it isn't the big things that destroys us. Oh, usually. 
It's those little things that are just nitpick at you. You know, if you want a foundation of something to crumble, just keep hitting it with a pick. Just keep chipping away at it. It isn't going to be one chip that's going to knock the foundation down. It's just that little chipping here and there and here and there and here and there. Pretty soon the foundation falls. So God wants us to be involved. God wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. If it's important to us, it's important to God. Whether it's your line of work, what school you're going to go to, whatever it might be, and especially your spouse. Let God help you choose your spouse. Of course, if you, know, you weren't saved at that time, God can make the one that you married the one that he wants you to be with, too. I'm thankful for that because I got a good one. God, I think, believed, directed my path and to meet Randy and, and build our lives together because he knew that this was the man that I needed. And of course, he don't like to admit it, but it is the truth. He prayed for me, prayed for a wife when he met me. <laughs> Sometimes I think he thought God pulled the fast one on him. <laughs> but God's interested in every aspect of our life, and we need to include him, because when we don't, then we start doing our own will, and we get used to doing our own thing. And if we're in the habit of doing our own thing, then pretty soon we're going to be way off the road. But if everything we do and everything we're concerned about is doing what pleases God and involve him in every aspect of our life, I even ask God, you know, do I want to buy a new car? Man, if all of us would just ask that. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that have saved a lot of heartache? Or ask people, God, can, should I buy a house? That would have saved people a lot of problems. Going into debt and they can't afford it and then they want God to bail them out. Well, God may bail you out, but he may let you suffer a while first. So you can learn the lessons you need to learn and not do it again. Because that's the object, just like a good parent. So, anyway, God used a donkey to teach Balaam a lesson. What has he used in your life to teach you a lesson? <laughs> in uh, verses, verse 12, it says, But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must, you must not put a curse on those people, because they are blessed. The next morning, ba Balaam got up and said to Balak's official, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to go with you. God, <clears throat> so God gave Balaam a clear directive. There wasn't no doubt in Balaam's mind what God's will was. God didn't stutter. He was very clear, and if you've ever known God's will for your life, Balaam did. He knew this wasn't God's will for his life. And Balaam didn't get in trouble because of the situation, well, he got in trouble because he didn't obey God's command. That's how he got in trouble, and that's usually how we'll get in trouble. Because we know God's direction in our life, but we don't listen to it. We take our own path. And God's got to do something to get us back where he needs us to get it, to be. And we need to realize that when uh, God says to do something, we need to do it without questioning and are trying to manipulate the interpretation of it. Uh, verse 15, it says, Then Balak said officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Now, Balak was desperate. So when Balaam refused to come the first time, he sweetened the pot. He sweetened the deal for him. He sent a more distinguished group of people than he had the first. And he sent the, uh, his prime number one negotiator, you know, and he promised to give him a brand new contract, a signing bonus. He'd be the most, the highest paid uh, sorcerer in the National Sorcerer's Association. <laughs> 
That's what he offered to him. Man, he sweetened the pot. And man, I'll tell you, I'll bet Balaam was beside himself. Just like a lot of people are when they, uh, somebody offers them, or hey, all we've got to do is go over here and do this, and we'll get $100,000 or $10,000. And all we see is dollar signs, or we see the get-rich-quick get schemes. How many people get caught up in that because they think that, oh man, I can get a lot of money in a short period of time. And so they fall into it and they get sucked into it. And 99% of the time, the only get-rich get person that gets it is the guy you gave the money to. So we need to realize that if, if when we're trying to do what God says in our life and we've re resisted it and we've said no, no to it and we're not going to do it, the devil's going to sweeten the pot. He's going to wrap it, change the way it's presented. He's going to do something to try and get us to do what he wants us to do. And we have to realize that our, we've got to have our mind made up, number one. We prom when we know we're going to serve God and we're going to consult him, we've got to go fight the temptation of doing something else. When the pot gets sweetened, when, the, when it becomes more important or, or, or the money is higher. I know a lot of people, you know, they're tempted to go take another job somewhere else. And they've offered them a lot of money to do it. And they sit there and they just battle through it and they pray through it and say, man, I don't know whether to go or not. Man, there's a lot more money. My family would be so much better off. I'd, I could get my bills paid off. And they think about that and, they, and they're more focused on the money, more focused on what that money can do for their lives. And if they take it, sometimes it works out, but a lot of times it doesn't. They've never, they're not happy where they went or... They're there for a year, and they get laid off because the company downsized. <laughs> so you never know. So it's better to ask God and go with what he says. And I would rather make less money with God's blessing than more money without it. Because it's amazing how much we can do with our, the same amount of money we're making now with God's blessing than twice as much without it. Because God gets his tithe. He gets the, his offerings one way or the other. Maybe it's through flat tires, blown engines, a refrigerator that goes out, a leaky roof, but God gets it. And if we're not serving God and we're not doing what we need to do, then we have no recourse. We can't come to God and remind him how faithful we've been to him. Because, see, that, that gets us a lot of uh, headway when you're dealing with God. When we're faithful to God, we can remind God about how faithful we've been and then say, God, you promised this, and we can claim that because we've done the if before the promise. We can't just claim the promise like a lot of people do. We have to do the if we do this, then we will get this. We don't just get then that we will get this. We have to do the if we do this. And that's where a lot of people miss it. Uh, verse 19 says, Now spend the night here so I can find out what the Lord will tell me. He said, Why don't you spend the night and I will go find out what the Lord wants to tell me. Now he already knew what the Lord wanted to tell him. So he didn't even need to bother to go pray. But see, he thought that through his manipulative skills, he's going to be able to con God. He's going to be able to go there and try to convince God why he should let him go, why he should give, let him do this, because look at all the money that I can get, God. Man, I'll even give you a tithe. I'll give you 20%, Lord. Just let me go. How many people, you know, they sit there and say, well, if God will let me win the lottery, then I'll start paying my tithes. You can't pay tithes on what you, what you got without the lottery. You'll never pay it with it. It'll just put you in a bigger, bigger hole in the ground, which they find with all the people that have won the lottery. They're worse off, actually, five years from before than when they won it because they blew it all, and they had all that money that they just blew, and they didn't know how to handle it, 
and they were worse shape than they were before. And then they have to suffer with the embarrassment of saying, didn't you just win the lottery? What in the world did you do with all that money? Uh, uh, I don't know. I spent it. It's kind of embarrassing to know you had that kind of money and then you're destitute. But anyway, <clears throat> so we can't be surprised about the way Balaam prayer, prayed because we do the same thing. Man, I, it doesn't rec- uh, record what his prayer was, but, you know, we can, we can kind of guess because we probably prayed him ourselves. Oh, God, just let me go to this place. Oh, Lord, just let me do this. After I do this, then I'll come back and I'll serve you, but I really want to do this. And we give God all the reasons why we should be able to do it. Kind of like when you're trying to talk your parents into something. See, you can con your parents. You can say, Mom, if you let me go to the, the prom, I'll clean the garage, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, to get your own way. Well, see, we can't con God. <laughs> we can't con him. Sometimes he will let us have our own way to find out how miserable we're going to be when we get our own way. I've gotten a lot of things I've asked for that I wished I hadn't got. Because sometimes they'd make your life worse instead of better. So I could imagine that kind of prayer that he prayed. And we shouldn't be surprised that when we, uh, that the enemy will come and test us on everything. Because he will. We as Christians, we think that once we get saved, we're not going to have any more problems. We're going to live, our life's going to be just bowl of cherries and not have any situations. But the reality is that as soon as you change directions, it's like changing the, di- the direction on a freeway going 70 miles an hour. Zoom, 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 zoom. We're going to have some resistance because the devil doesn't want us to serve God. Unless all well, we do is just sit in church and don't do anything. You know, God, the devil don't care if you come to church. Just as long as you don't get serious about God. Doesn't matter to him if you sit in here and, and do whatever you want to do. Doesn't bother him a bit. It's when we start taking the, the gospel of God that they put places in our hearts and we start sharing it. We start telling other people what God has done in our lives and start telling them how wonderful it is to be a Christian, how wonderful it is to serve God. Now, the devil don't like that, so he's going to oppose you in every way he can, and he knows what our weaknesses are. That's why it's nice to know what our weaknesses are and admit our weaknesses. Some of us think, well, I have no weaknesses. Well, I think pride's one of your weaknesses. <laughs> because we all have weaknesses, we have strong points in our life, and we have weak points in our life. And the devil will attack the weak points in our life, and God will allow the attack on our weak points so we can make those weak points into strong points. And once we have that battle, fought that battle, and the devil can't use that again, he's going to go try something else. So we got to, don't be surprised when the devil comes against you, because he's going to. People, I've heard it said, I don't know how many times, Man, my life wasn't this bad till I got saved. And it just seems like everything started messing up. Well, of course. That's why I don't like preaching a feel-good gospel about things because when you do, then people come in, they accept God, Christ in their heart, and accept salvation, and then they have a problem. And they say, well, man, they didn't tell me this. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not supposed to have any problems. I'm God's kid. What is this? Well, I guess I really didn't get saved, and maybe I don't want to serve God, if all this stuff's going to happen to me. See, the difference between being a Christian and going through problems or not being a Christian at all, you're still going to go through problems. You're still going to go through situations in your life. But the big difference is we have Christ to go through it with us. When I was in the world and I had a problem, I did 12-ounce pull-ups. That's what I did. 
Now I do two arm lift ups. <laughs> so it's kind of a different scenario. But these 12 ounce pull ups that I used to do, they weren't going to help the problem. All they were going to do is kind of numb my brain a little bit to help me maybe to uh, forget about it for a while. But see, when we have God, God will deal with the problem in our life and He will help us. Maybe He won't get through it in one day or whatever, but He'll give us the strength to get through it. And I want the strength to get through a problem. I don't want to have to drink my way through problems. I want to be able to praise my way through problems and know that God loves me and he doesn't let anything happen to me that isn't going to make me stronger. So we need to realize that and not be surprised when it happens. And when we compromise and do our own thing, then God has to deal with our compromise and he has to do something to get, it back on, get us back on the path. The problem is we usually don't like that path diverter, that detour that we have that God does. Sometimes it's a little painful. You know, sometimes God has to tear up some things in our life to get us over here. So anyway, uh, verse 22. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkeys, and his true servants were, in, were with him. When God puts roadblocks in our attention, or in our way, or in our path to get our attention, that's why he does it. So when we have something that's going on in our life, we need to look at why, why is this happening? Maybe I'm out of the will of God. Maybe I need to look at something differently. Instead of getting mad and angry like Balaam did, sometimes God will stand in the road of our, of our agenda with his sword drawn and say, no, you're not coming this way. And if we continue on, then things aren't going to get pretty. They're going to get worse. So we need to understand that because that's, hap that's what happened to Balaam. Now you know that there's nothing worse than being in a hurry and having car trouble, flat tire, or you make a wrong turn and you get lost. There's nothing worse than that. But see, how do, what do we respond when we're in those situations? You know, car problems really tick, tick us off, don't they? Really irritate you, because it never happens at a convenient time. Of course, there's never a convenient time for car trouble. So, but I've seen many a person lose their religion over a flat tire. Well, Balaam's about ready to deal with a flat tire of a different sort. He's got transportation problems. And he's about to make a real donkey of himself. Instead of worrying about the donkey, he's turning into what, worse than what he thought he was. Uh, verse 23. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn... <coughs> with a drawn... Lord, my, got my milkshare upside down. Drawn sword in the hand. It turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. When the, angel, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he went, was angry and beat it with his staff. Now, see, the donkey seen the angel. See, Balaam didn't see the angel or didn't see the roadblock because he was wound up in his own agenda. And usually when we're so wrapped up in our own lives and our own problems and the only situations and our dreams and our own visions, we can't see the roadblocks that God puts there. And all, what do we do when those things happen? We respond similar to put what Balaam did. What do we do when we have car trouble? 
Balaam, he gets down off his donkey and probably kicked dirt in its face and started cussing it and probably getting mad at it and called it everything but a donkey. <laughs> I don't know what kind of language they used back then, but well, we can kind of get the gist of what happened there because we've either heard it or said it ourselves, God forbid. So when God puts in roadblocks in our way, we've got to remember that we don't give someone else a beating. That's usually what happens. Something happens in our life, we have a roadblock, or things just aren't going the way that we want them to go, and we get angry, and so we take it out on whoever's available at the time. A lot of times it happens to be our spouse. Those are usually the ones that, you know, get the blunt of everything. Or our kids, or maybe you go home and kick the dog. Well, it wasn't their fault. See, we didn't see the roadblocks from God, and God puts roadblocks there to deter us, to get it back in another direction. That's what he, why he uses it. And when ours are closed with our own agenda and our own goals and our own purposes, we can't see them. But God needs to do something to, to change our direction. And that's what he needed to do with, uh, <clears throat> with Balaam. Now, donkeys, uh, his donkey was like, uh, those days was like the ATVs of today. You know, they all-terrain vehicles. You know, they hauled loads and they, you know, provided for transportation. They used for grinding grain and all kinds of things that they had. And this donkey was very dependable to him, you know? I, it was something that never gave him any kind of grief. Now, if we have a situation in our life where we have a problem, like a car trouble or something, maybe God's trying to get our attention. And getting out and kicking the tire is only going to hurt your toe. I have firsthand experience of that. So what happens to, to, um, to Balaam is something that he didn't expect. And that is that a donkey starts talking to him. And I think it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> and we look at verse 29. It says, And Balaam answered the donkey, You've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. The donkey said to Balaam, I am, on, I am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden in this, to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Now, we know how mad and upset Balin was because I meant he didn't get freaked out that a donkey was talking to him. I meant, can you imagine? You know, we've seen the you know, original Mr. Ed, you know, I don't know whether you remember that show, or Francis the Talking Mule, these shows. And every time you see an animal talking to you, they get freaked out. But Balin was so mad and so upset. He can just see red. That's all he can see. And he doesn't pay any attention that, that the donkey is actually talking to a donkey too. <laughs> and that's what happens when we get so aggravated about the, the where, where we're going and our own agenda that some things out of the ordinary can happen and we don't pay any attention. We just beat it. We beat the wrong horse. How many times have we beat the wrong horse? Blame them for things. You take it out on whoever happens to be there. Maybe you got a, be a friend that, you know, your best friend, and they tell you something that you don't like, and you beat up on them, then all they're trying to do is get you to change your, your place, or maybe somebody needed to say something to you. And God uses people for both to, to lead us in the right direction and lead us in the wrong direction. <laughs> but if we get upset over something, God wants us to call on him and say, hey, God, what's going on here? What's the situation here? I'm trying to do this. And it just isn't working out? Is this a roadblock? Or is it, do you want me not to go there? Or do you want me not to do this? Or the, does the devil not want me to do this? Because I want to do everything the devil doesn't want me to do. Amen? Amen? 
I want to do everything to defeat that guy. Man, he just messes up our life so bad. If I can get him, I will. So he sits there, and he gets so, he's so angry, he can't notice that a donkey's talking to him. And finally, God opens up his eyes so he can see what the donkey said. And sometimes we're so involved in our own problem, our own agenda, that we can't see because we're just like Balaam was. All we see is red. All we see is the situation. I've got to be there. I've got this meeting I've got to go to. I've got to go over here. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And that's all we see. We can't see God's direction or God's hand in anything. So we have to make it a habit of letting, asking God when things aren't going right, hey, God, do you want me on a different place? Do you want me to take a different road? Do you not want me to go here? To be able to ask those questions, and that's, what God put, that's why God uses roadblocks. It isn't that he just likes to mess up our life. God doesn't want to mess up our life. God wants to bless our lives. But in order to have God's blessing, we have to be obedient to God and do what he wants us to do. Just like your kids, when you're your parents. You didn't reward your kids when they were disobedient, did you? If you did, we need to have a talk. Because they'll never learn. They get rewards for doing things that, that are good, not things that are bad. And that's, the, that's life in general. Of course, that's the way, the way of the world. People think that you're supposed to get things whether you're good or not. And that's the religion and doctrine of the day sometimes. Doesn't matter what you do. Oh, you poor little thing. Your environment messed you up. Well, that's okay. Here's this. Here's this. Go ahead. And so they grow up looking, finding something to blame their whole life on. And every situation in their life, they blame on that. Because somebody could have confirmed that in their life. But if you look at people's lives, there's a lot of people that would go through the same kind of a situation, and they didn't act like that. Just because somebody mistreated me doesn't give me the right to mistreat someone else. They say child abusers usually grow up to be child abusers. Why? Because probably somebody told them you're going to be. That's right. But see, God wants to change that. He wants to break that, that tradition or that thing in our life. And if we come to God, he'll break it. But see, he has to break us first. He has to break our own will, and he has to be, we have to be able to be willing to be used of God. See, a lot of people hang on to their sin. They hang on to their uh, customs. They hang on to their whatever it might be because I don't know why. Gives them an excuse. But God wants to get rid of all that, and he wants to give us a good life. He wants to give us the things in our life that's going to make us happy. That's what God wants. That's what I wanted for my kids. I didn't want bad stuff to happen to my kids. Did you? And God's the same way. He only wants good for us. Uh, Verse 31 says, Then God opened Balaam's eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. So he bowed down and fell face down. I'll bet he did. (laughs) I'll bet he kind of fell down fast as he could. Oh, no, I'm in big doo-doo now. But when we see something, we recognize the mistake that we've made, we've got to do the same thing that Balaam did. Acknowledge it and fall, not necessarily literally, but in our hearts anyway, and be able to call out to God and recognize the mistake that we've made and may take steps to correct it. <clears throat> See, Balaam, uh, verse 23 says, The donkey turned away from me three, these three times. If thou had not turned away, I'd certainly have killed you by now, but I w- would have spared it. So Balaam owned, owed his donkey an apology and his life. If that meant for the donkey, if the donkey hadn't seen there, 
seen what uh, was standing there, Balaam would have been dead. And we never know in those situations in our life. Sometimes we get a flat tire because God doesn't want us at a certain place on the freeway where we might get killed. See, we can't see that. So when a situation arises, we have cars, we have a flat tire, just say, well, maybe God's intervening here because he doesn't want us somewhere else at a certain time. And just thank God, say, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know whether it's just the devil flattening my tire or you, or you doing it <laughs> to keep me from going there. But either way, we got to come to God and say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you and know that you wouldn't let this happen unless it was for my good and for my, your purpose in my life. And I'm not going to blame the car. I'm not going to get out and kick the headlights. I'm going to go out and break my toe on the fender because it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't change the situations. <clears throat> so when God turns us around, the first thing we need to do when, we, when God opens our eyes to a situation, because if we come to God, he will open our eyes. He will do that for us. And when we realize that we've made a mistake, the first thing we need to do is repent. And I don't mean just te- temporary repentance. Because repentance means turning around. If I'm going this direction, I, God wants me to go here. I was serving the world. I was sort of serving my own agenda. I was serving, serving the devil, if you will. Because if there's only two choices. You're either serving God or you're serving the world or the devil. One or the other. That's the only choices you have. And true repentance means I, I'm not going this way anymore. I'm going this way from now on. And it, it's, a, it's not a right, just a right turn temporary to get you out of a situation. How many people... They get in an environment, oh, God, save me. Get me through this, and I'm going to serve you. Then as soon as they get out of the situation, then they're right back there. Temporary, temporary Christianity (laughs) to get their own needs because they have their own agenda. They don't want to serve God. They just don't want this problem. They want God to bail them out. But see, that isn't what God wants because true repentance means it's a decision to go a different direction. And it isn't necessarily... Feeling remorse over, the, over what you did. Sometimes we think, well, I don't feel bad for that. So why do I have to repent? Well, because you know that God doesn't want you doing it. Whether you feel bad about it or not, you need to get closer to God because if you get closer to God, then you'll feel bad for that over there. You have to do it before you start feeling bad because the closer you get to God, the more clear the path seems and the more right and wrong becomes non-gray areas. Until then, we need somebody to help us say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Why? Doesn't matter why. What good is it going to do? Is it going to glorify God? I've never drank to God's glory. Never did, not one time. Of course, I wasn't saved then. So there's certain things as Christians that God doesn't want us to do because can we glorify God doing that? And if we can't, then we shouldn't be doing it. We don't need somebody to give us some chapter and verse about it because God, if we can see that the reason we can't shouldn't be doing something, then that's God talking to us to let us know he doesn't want us doing that. And he doesn't want to put roadblocks in our way, but he will. If you go out there and say, well, it won't matter if I just go out to the bar one more time. Guess who you're going to run into at the bar? Somebody that visited your church. <laughs> or somebody that said, hey, I thought you went to church. Ugh. Busted. <laughs> and it's a bad example because, see, they expect us to do certain things. The world expects Christians to act in a different way. And if we don't act in a different way, then we're causing the world to believe that Christianity is something you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you want. You just said your little prayer, and you got her made. In reality, that isn't what it is. It's a heart change, and it's a life change, and it's a lifestyle. 
You can have a, a moment of religion in your life, but that's all it'll ever be. When you have a lifestyle, then your life's going to change. See, Balaam had a wonderful experience with God. Now, that would have been enough for me. Just listening to a donkey talk to me would have kept me on the straight and narrow. You know, that would have been enough for me. But if God needs a donkey, he'll use it. There's nothing on the face of the earth that God is above using to get us where he wants us to be. When, we have, when he has a specific purpose for our life, or a plan for our life, he's going to get us there. We can go kicking and screaming, or we can go willingly. But you will be there. Because that's the, if God needs this done, and he's chosen you for it, guess what? There's no plan B. You're plan A, B, C, D, and E. And the problem is, how are you going to get there? So God uses other things to get us there. We need to understand that. <clears throat> Verse 38 says, well I, well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Finally, he got it. Finally, he got it. If each one of us would live by that scripture, it sure caused a lot of get rid of a lot of heartache, wouldn't it? We get so angry sometimes that something, things come out of our mouth and we say things and we sit there trying to grab them and trying to put them back. But once they're out there, it's too late. But see, if we just live by that scripture, I'm only going to speak what God wants me to speak, whether it's, hi, how you doing, or whether it's something else. We need to be more aware of what we say and only speak what God wants us to speak. And that'll, that in itself will help our life. <clears throat> But he finally got it, but he really still wasn't happy about it because he's probably still thinking about all that money that he's not going to get. But he's going to go, you know, they've got one on, you know, angels on each arm dragging him through the dirt with his toes dragging behind him. You know, he's going, he's going to do it, but he doesn't want to. First Samuel 15, 22 says, Samuel said, Which does the Lord prefer, obedience or offerings and sacrifices? It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep to him. See, God wants our obedience. I mean, we sit there and say, well, God, I'm going to go over here and I'll give you 30% of what I get if I go there. God didn't want that. He wants your obedience, our unquestionable obedience. We may not understand everything that God wants us to do or say, but we need to have the faith in him knowing that he does. And we just do it. Don't think about it. Don't talk yourself out of it because so many people talk themselves out of doing something. If you feel like God wants you to go talk to somebody or say something to somebody, do it. What's the worst that can happen? They look at you funny. They will anyway. Doesn't matter. Might as well look like a fool for Jesus than, than not. They're going to think you're a fool anyway. Might as well do it for Jesus. And if, you, if God can use a donkey, he can surely use me. He don't have to, have to create a miracle in my life to get me to talk. <laughs> he needs a miracle to get me to not talk. <laughs> <coughs> in verse thir Joshua 13:22 shows us a very sad outcome of Balaam. And it says, Bas Balaam, also the son of Eor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. So Balaam, once he went to Moab, he stayed there. You know, he may not have said what the king wanted him to say, but he spoke truth. And if you speak truth in God's name, people are going to start having a confidence in you. And so he went up and mow up and he hung out his shingle. God talks to me. 
I know how to do this now. He hung out his shingle, so he was probably more wealthy there than he'd ever been in his life. But that isn't what God wants. See, God wanted total obedience from him. And because he did there, went there, and he lived there, and he set up his house and didn't live up, live up to God and turned his back on what he had had. There. I can't say the encounter with it he had with God. It just amazes me that he could do anything but serve God. It just amazes me. But how many people do we know that have had, God has had miracles in their life? Maybe they've had a loved one that God healed. I don't know what the miracle is, but there's so many miracles around, and yet we say, well, it really wasn't. It was just a coincidence. And we rationalize the miracle away. And that's probably what Balaam did. So he set up shop there, and he ended up costing him his life. See, because in the end, Balaam, all he cared about was riches. That's all he cared about. Didn't care about anything else. And I don't want to be like Balaam. I want to be obedient to what God wants me to do. And I don't want to have to need a donkey to talk to me to tell me what God wants me to do and where he wants me to go. I want him to be able to whisper in my ear and me immediately respond to God. Isn't that what you want to do for your life? Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessing. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for some of these things in the Old Testament that we read about and we understand that these are things that actually did happen. And Lord, we can apply them to our own life. 